You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 39. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. So it just was Labor Day weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. We hope all of you had a good Labor Day weekend, which we're definitely dating when we're recording this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But we had a good Labor Day weekend here. Uh, Cassie and Amanda back for our, we had our triads anniversary a little earlier this year. We've actually got our anniversary coming up. But anyways, we had our triads anniversary earlier this year and Cassie and Amanda got me uh, pentatonics tickets uh, up in Hershey in Pennsylvania. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big pentatonix fan. Yeah, it was really for you. The concert was for I, you. I appreciate it. I haven't been to a concert in like 10 years since you and I were disturbed and I kind of did not understand how mosh pits work. <laughs> got into stuff in the mosh pit. So we went, we saw pentatonix. We went to uh, Hershey's, what is that place called? Chocolate World? Hershey's yes. Chocolate World. Because Amanda had never been there and she went into full-blown little mode with the candy running around grabbing candy bars at the at the chocolate. Amanda has a bit of a little bit of a lot of bit of a little. A lot of bit of a little and a lot of chocolate desire and love. So it just really fed into her whole little happy state and she was going around but like getting different kinds of chocolates and being like, which ones do I want to buy? I want this one, I want that one. So it was a lot of fun. And then after that we went to the concert and Pentatonix was actually pretty good. I mean, live, they were they were really good live. And I'm not a huge, huge Pentatonix fan. I like certain songs from Pentatonix, not all of Pentatonix, but I could at least enjoy the songs that I enjoy from them. Yeah, and they wrapped up with Bohemian Rhapsody, which made me really happy because at first they, they finished up with another song. I see I didn't understand this concert thing where they go, pretend they're going off stage, but they're not going off stage. Uh, the song they did, like their second to last song, it was okay, but it wasn't wasn't like my favorite. And then they came back and did Bohemian Rhapsody. I'll actually link to the YouTube video in the show notes, but it's it's fantastic. Yeah, so I was I was really happy about that. But you actually had a little bit of uh, discrimination at uh, at Pentatonix. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Pentatonix, it's an acapella band. There's five people in it, and at least one of the guys, Mitch. Yeah, well, I, one one is one is gay. Mitch is gay, and then I think the lead singer. I, I don't want to. I don't put my foot in my mouth here. I think somebody else might be bi, but the one the one guy Mitch is definitely gay. Like he was in Out Magazine a little while back, done up fabulously. So go ahead, you can pick that ball up. So the we're sitting next to this family of like two daughters, a dad and a mom. And next to me is the two daughters. So I'm sitting there and then like daughter one, daughter two, dad, and then mom. And the father starts talking to them 
after he's like looking things up on his phone about pentatonics. And you could tell dad had no idea what pentatonics was or anything about them. And he was Googling pentatonics because I think he saw looking around, there's some gay people in this crowd. Me with Amanda holding hands with my funky colored hair. And then like in front of us, there was some very clear partners that were gay in front of us that were very cute. And you could tell he was looking around like, what am I doing here? So he's like looking on his phone and I have very good ears. So I get to hear him talking to his daughter and he's like, whatever his name was, the one singer, Mitch, Mitch. yes, Mitch was in gay voices. And he was like, did you know he was in the gay voice magazine? I didn't know we were coming here to see gay people. And she was like, well, you know, I don't know. And he kept, as he was talking about gay voices and Mitch and pentatonics and questioning why he was at this concert, he kept looking at me disgruntledly. And a little later in the show, there was an open seat between his wife and the next group of people. He moved his daughter away from me and Amanda and put her on the other side of his wife. I think he did not want her to catch the gay or whatever, but it was just kind of funny to see the reaction of like, I was perfectly fine with this concert until I realized that somebody in the band was gay. So I hope he really, really enjoyed Mitch's very short, flamboyant shorts that he was wearing that night. The entire night, even through costume changes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And all the fabulousness that he had to endure. So we're going to talk about uh, four four poly myths that we think are ruining people's poly relationships. But before we do, there's one thing that we had to touch that isn't really in line with the topic, but it is... Funny. Timely, I guess, is more the thing. It's something that's going on right now. So there's this thing going around Facebook right now, and I don't know where else it's going around. I I Googled it, and I couldn't find it. But Cassie actually brought this to my attention. And how did this come to your attention initially? And then we'll talk about what it is. So I saw it pop up in like three poly groups. Well, two poly groups and a in a lifestyles group that covers like BDSM and and kink and stuff like that. And when I first looked at it, I was like, ha ha ha, this is funny. It's some kind of joke or something like that. Because occasionally, you know, memes go around or silly things. And then I started reading a couple of comments and some people were taking it seriously. Not like a huge giant amount of people, but there was definitely some people who really took this very seriously. Very seriously. And some of them were not like your average like educators and like it was it was a couple of yeah. So so let's talk about I'm gonna talk about what this is for a minute and I'm gonna put the picture of this in the show notes at a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero three nine. You guys, if if you're kinky, like most of our audience has at least some some kind of interaction with kink, you're probably familiar with the stoplight system. For kink. And it's it's called the stoplight system because it's green, yellow, red. And, you know, green is everything's great. Keep going. Like, that's great. Yellow is, hey, I'm kind of getting to my limit with this activity. And red is a safe word. Red is stop the scene. Red is red is essentially a safe word. And red is the safe word in most uh, most yeah, most dungeon stuff. spaces, most most public place spaces that I'm aware of. So it's it's the stoplight system. It's red, yellow, green. 
Well, this is the new and improved easy reference safe word color chart, and it is 11 colors. And now I want to say up front that just reading this, I have no idea how anybody thinks this was meant to be serious because it is quite obviously to me a parody. Like you have things here like like the first two colors are just just to give you an idea of this chart. White is, I'm currently residing in a land of blissful transcendence through the utter skill which you approach the manipulation of my body. And then lavender is, I am increasingly bored. Please alter your approach or fetching a slice of pizza and catching some TV will seem preferable to proceeding further. And this, this hilarity proceeds all the way through black, which is two steps above red and says, I will not need to press charges because you're going to goddamn kill me. Tell my friends I love them. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, dear pizza. But apparently, even with this being written like this, some people are taking this quite seriously. And Cassie saw, you know, a bunch of comments to effects where people are like, well, this is really too much. And other people are like, well, if you're not willing to learn these things, you shouldn't be playing with anybody if you don't care enough about their bodies to memorize these 11. I mean, you, you could talk about the comments for a minute because... Yeah, I, I didn't and, actually see them. And even the ones who recognize that perhaps this was a parody went into why it shouldn't be, why there should be all of these colors of the rainbow. And one of the comments that I really appreciated was somebody who was like, in the situation of using the stoplight, you want to have something that is very easily remembered, right? Like, green is go, yellow is slow down, this might not be a good thing, red is stop versus having to have this big long list. And seeing someone who is like, well, if this is somebody's safe words, if this is how they want to use them, you should memorize all of them and respect them as your play partner, et cetera, et cetera. And that was at the point where Cassie took a screenshot of it and was like, oh, hell no. And... <laughs> got out of that that got conversation but it was just interesting to look at how some folks wanted to even possibly with the idea that maybe this was a parody I'm not so sure if they actually thought it was but incorporate 11 colors into the stoplight system so let's just spend five minutes before we move on to the main topic and discuss why this is such a bad idea first off just to be clear I've never, hardly ever in a scene even used more than two colors, which is yellow and red, either as a top or as a bottom, because generally anything lower than yellow, which yellow means, you know, like, I don't know how much more of this I can do, essentially, is the absence of saying anything. And generally you're going to go up to somebody and you're going to do your check-ins during your scene. So you're going to go be like, hey, how are you doing? And they're going to be like, fine. They don't generally need to say green. Although I have had some some folks who have been like, I am super, super green right now. But it's more in like a Joking, silly yeah. kind of context. So that's 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 thing A. Uh, you know, but, but that moves into the more complicated thing, which is the more complicated that you make this stuff, the more room you're opening to make mistakes during a scene. And and these aren't the kind of mistakes that you want to make. I mean, you know, a safe word is unambiguous in a scene. You don't need Two levels above that are basically like, hey, did you not hear my safe word? And then, you know, the the one, two, three, four levels in between yellow and red, which are basically just varying degrees of did you not hear me say yellow? So the problem is moving away from how hilarious this is, 
the more complicated you make this, the more likely it is that people are going to fuck this stuff up during a scene. And that that carries very real consequences. Yeah. And when you're doing something where there is so many complexities of where things need to be interpreted very clearly, when you make that communication confusing, that's going to lead to problems that don't necessarily have to happen. So, yeah. Don't do that. Keep keep your safe words simple. Yeah. The stoplight system is is tried and true. The only thing that I, I did see in here that I could even make an argument for is orange, which is basically it's an almost red. But even then, I mean, generally that that is what a yellow generally is. I mean, it's it's I mean, orange, their definition of orange is this is no longer working for me. OK, well, first off, their, their definition for yellow is is purposely ridiculous. It's this is, I'm not sure this is quite for me, but you seem to like it, so I'll bear with it. Can we get this over with soon, though? I want to get some pizza. So that, that's kind of a ridiculous <laughs> one. Their orange is what I think most people use yellow as, which is, this is no longer working for me. I'm becoming uncomfortable. I suggest slowing down or trying something else. And that is... Yellow. I think the only reason I think that orange seems to make sense is because that is yellow in your average stoplight context. It's, hey, I'm not sure this is working for me. I'm getting uncomfortable. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this. You know, if you don't want me to red and end this scene, it's time to slow down or try something else. I mean, that is how yellow is used. Yeah. So I don't know if there's anything else I can even say about this. Guys, don't take this stuff seriously. That's all I've got to say is don't take it seriously. And when you're creating your safe words, and this is safe words in general, they should be simple, something that you and your partner can easily recognize I suggest the green to red system, meaning green good, yellow, you know, not working, may need to switch up or slow down, and red stop. But if you're going to use something else, because other people use different safe words and especially going along with the scene, it should be something that is very clear, easily to understand, and is not complicated. And just as a final kind of rule of thumb... Anything that ends in the line, goodbye, cruel world, goodbye, dear pizza, perhaps <laughs> you should give some serious thought as to whether or not that's something you should be taking seriously. So we're going to be talking about four common myths that keep poly folks from having good relationships. And these are myths that are not from the outside community. These are myths that are inside our own community, the things that our own people are reiterating and saying to each other that is not conducive to creating good, healthy relationships. Yeah, I'd say only the first one that we're going to go over is is a kind of a general myth. And the rest are all myths from poly folks about poly. So this isn't your typical like 12 Miss Vanillas think about poly people kind of thing. This is Miss Poly people think about poly that are fucking up their relationships. So we do a lot of advertising. And one of the benefits of that is we get a shit ton of stupid comments on our ads. And you would think that a lot of them would be from vanilla people. And a lot of them are vanilla people, muggles, non-poly people, whatever. A lot of them are. And it's a lot of the typical... Stuff that you'd expect. And at some point, we're probably going to go through and do a debunking episode every so often of some of this dumber comments that we've gotten on our Facebook ads. 
we get quite a few from poly people as well. And um, we're going to address not all of those today, but some of those today. And as we go through a couple of these points, I think we're actually going to, I'm actually going to read a couple of, a couple of the comments. So let's start with, with myth number one, which I know is one of your favoritest myths. Love is not enough. So, well, the myth is that love is enough, that if you love somebody, things are just going to work out and everything's going to be sparkly and wonderful because you love them. And this, by the way, is the only myth that is not purely from the poly community. Yeah, it's it's a it's a myth about romance and relationships. And I like the Beatles. I like the song and it's a good song, but it's just not true. Like love is not all you need. You need other things. And the problem that comes from this is that folks get this idea of, well, even when things are bad, even when things are rough, if I love my partner somehow, it'll just work its way out. And that's just bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. So I, I, you know, the stat that I like to quote to kind of try and get in people's heads about this is that according to the American Psychological Association, half of all married couples in the United States will divorce. That's half. That's 50% of married couples in the United States. And divorce, by the way, I'd say is even more rare than just breaking up, not married. So overall, the failure rate for relationships is way, way higher than that. Yeah. And if you're on your second marriage, you're twice as likely to get divorced again. So that's a lot of breakups. That's a lot of things that go wrong in relationships. So here's the thing. Well, and and so here's here's what you have to here's where you have to go from that, right? That's just fact. I mean, half of all married couples, more if you're on your second relationship, end up in divorce. So what you have to say to yourself is, well, did all those people not love each other? Like, do half of married couples not love each other? And the obvious answer to that question is no, right? Or at least they loved each other at one point, right? Or, you know, likely a lot of them still love each other now. So it's not that they didn't love each other enough to stay together or they didn't love each other and that's not why they stayed together. It was because in spite of loving each other, there were other issues that they weren't able to resolve. And those issues grew to a point where the love wasn't enough to keep those relationships together anymore. Yeah, and really the idea is is that like, this love thing is supposed to be a glue, right? Like love is supposed to keep us glued together. But if all the pieces are falling apart, it's not going to keep things solid. Like love is not like a substance that's going to fix those problems that are there. Love helps you have a good relationship. It helps you have empathy and have good things in your relationships. But it's not all you need. Relationships are a skill. Like relationships require us to learn to work through the problems, to be able to uh, deal with the issues that come up. And when we say, oh, well, if you just love your partner, it's going to be fine. We dismiss sort of the work that has to go into creating those skills that you need. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's this interesting, it's this interesting thing that happens with relationships that I don't feel like happens with many other things in life, which is people think that for some reason, you hit your 
teenage years, your adult years or whenever. I mean, it's not a very clearly defined myth in people's heads, but you hit some certain age and, and all of a sudden you're just automatically supposed to be good at relationships if you love somebody. And that's not you don't you don't just magically get good at a skill because you like it. Right. So relationships are a skill. And and more honestly than being one skill, it's easy. And a lot of times when you hear us us talk about relationships, you'll hear us talk about relationships as a skill kind of shorthand because it, it, it's relationship honestly isn't one skill, right? It's it's a whole set of skills. And I think any skill really, when you look from the top down, whether it's golfing or anything, right? It's a combination of a bunch of smaller skills. But, you know, it, it's it's relationship is, is a whole bunch of skills. And there isn't anywhere else that you go, hmm, I think just because I really like this, all of a sudden I'm going to be good at it. Like, you don't go, huh, you know, I just said I really like golf and then walk onto a golf course. I don't know why I keep talking about golf. I didn't like golf. You walk onto a golf course and all of a sudden you're good at it just because you liked it. And that's that's really the same the same way of thinking. Like, oh, you're just going to suddenly be good at relationships because you really love this person. And all of a sudden you're going to gain these skills that you haven't practiced and haven't developed. And when you think about it that way, it really is kind of an odd thing. Yeah, I blame a lot of it on sort of that fantasy, like what we see in fairy tales and in movies. And it's like, oh, you just jumped right into knowing how to have this magical relationship because, oh, you figured out that you love this person. So now everything is that happy ending. But it's just not how things really work. And when we are learning about these things and we are with somebody, we can either decide like, hey, I'm going to, you know, well, really there's like three things. There's, I can just depend on love, right? And just kind of wing it and go with it. Or I can recognize that these are a group of skills. These are skills that I have to acquire and I can do everything in my power to kind of piece things together, things like that, give it the old good old try and error kind of thing and hope that things work out and that I figure it out eventually. Or I can learn it from someone else who's more experienced. Going back to your like golf analogy, I can decide that I like golf and miraculously I'm going to get good at it. Or I can possibly go out and to, to a park and pick up some balls and hopefully maybe learn about it. Or I can go and get somebody else who knows how to do it, knows how to swing, has done golf for a while. I don't know why we're talking about golf because neither one of us likes it, but you get the gist. So those are sort of like the three different options that you can take. Right. I mean, really what it boils down to is relationships are a skill. And like any skill, you learn either from your own mistakes or you learn from somebody else's mistakes. The The thing with relationships, though, as opposed to learning other things is the cost of learning from your own mistakes can be very, very high. And it's very high for a lot of people. That's why the divorce rate is so high. I mean, if you're, you know, you you enjoy golfing and you want to learn to golf and you're not doing it professionally, so your, your career is not depending on it. And you learn from your own mistakes and, you know, the worst thing that happens is it takes you 10 years to learn golf. I mean, it, it's not a big deal. But when you're talking about your relationships, right, there's a good chance your relationships aren't going to survive that trial and error of this stuff. And that's why 
the divorce rate is so high. I mean, I don't want to say it's the only reason, but that's certainly one reason why the divorce rate is so high. That's the first thing, right? Love isn't enough. Relationships are a skill. And like any skill, you can learn from your own mistakes. You can learn from somebody else's mistakes. You just have to consider what are the costs of learning from your own mistakes when you have somebody you love and you might have a family that you've built together. Do you really want to learn from your own mistakes in that scenario? So that's the first myth. Second myth. Poly is easy. Right. So this this is a myth that comes from the poly community itself. Certainly uh, nobody who is uh, uh, that I've run across who is not poly thinks that poly is easy. This is where I'm actually going to read a couple of these Facebook comments here. So this one says, I have an awesome relationship with my partner. There's no secret to it. Just unconditional love, learning to deal with jealousy and maintaining excellent communication. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, that's three things that are important. Those things are not easy. But the other one that we get a lot more comments that are that are similar here is like this one. Polyamory is easy. If you desire long-term life enmeshment, have the conversation with both you and your partners and metamors about what you want. Always de-escalate. Like all relationships, it's about as dramatic as one makes it. Okay, I want to talk about where this myth comes from. And then I want to talk about why it is so dangerous and so harmful to poly relationships. Where I think it comes from is what I call poly propaganda. Some of you folks, if you're on my email list or, or things like that, may have heard me talk about poly propaganda, but I'm going to talk about it again for a second. So poly propaganda is what poly folks did or what we do when we're talking to vanilla folks, the muggles, fill in non-poly folk term here. And when we're explaining our relationships and we're saying, look, we can do this. We can make this work. See, we're all happy. Look at us in our poly network family on television and we're super cute and everything's great. And the reason we do that is because in society, we want to be viewed by others as quote unquote normal or okay. Legitimate or, or yeah. our relationships being viewed as legitimate or or workable. So we do it for a very good reason. We do it for the reason that we want the outsiders to know that our relationships are valid and can work and do have all the great things that Polly does have. The issue is, is that we've started reiterating this propaganda to ourselves. And it makes things so difficult because basically what we're doing is now reiterating it to the people who are trying to learn. We're, we're talking to our own folks who may have a struggle or may have some sort of issue. And it causes that problem where folks don't feel like they can even ask for help. I had one of my clients at one point say that it was like damn hard to get, you know, practical down to earth open relationship advice because what he was getting from folks is, poly, oh. Well, polypropaganda. He's the one who came up with that term. Yeah, he was the one who came up with the polypropaganda term. And he was like, I'm, I'm getting just this propaganda. Like, oh, you know, just love each other. And everybody just sit around and talk. And you and your metamors will get along great. And everything will be fantastic. And maybe that might happen. But maybe it won't. 
So how much of it do you think is that? And how much of it do you think is just this bleeding over of this love is enough mindset from the rest of the world? I think a little tiny bit of it is, but I actually think that a large portion of it, a larger portion of this myth is based on poly folks really trying to make their relationships seem valid, workable, things like that. And we've gotten in such a habit of doing it with everybody else that we're now doing it to our own folks. Yeah. And I mean, we, we get the, we get the feeling behind it. I mean, the, the thing is, is that a lot of you may not know this, but we for a while did a lot of media outreach. I think there was a couple of years where we were probably the most active poly kinky folks in the media, maybe four or five years ago. So, I mean, we get it. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's as, as poly folks, we're still struggling to have our relationships recognized as legitimate and to have other folks not judge us. I think the biggest thing about it is, is that we tend to specifically try and bury any problems that come from being poly, right? Because we don't want people to think, oh, poly causes more issues. So like any issues that, that are tied to being poly, like jealousy or, you know, navigating time or any of the issues that come specifically from being poly, we really want to bury because we don't want to give vanilla people any more reasons to think, well, yeah, clearly poly doesn't work. Look at all these problems that being poly causes. See, what I was going to say is the things that we bury are the things that feed the vanilla myths. Like you're never going to get along with your metamors or if you and your partner are in an open relationship, you're going to have issues with jealousy and fighting and one of you is not going to have your needs met. So I feel like the things that we bury are like the counterparts to the myths that vanilla people have about our relationships, that you will always suffer these things. Right. So, and this is, you know, this is one of those things that easy, that's easy to look at and say, oh, it's not, it's not a huge problem. But it actually is a really big problem, right? First off, it's clearly false, right? Poly being easy is clearly false. And all any of you have to do to get this for yourself is to think about all the poly folks you know and think about the number of those relationships that have failed. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that being poly is it's it's perfectly doable, but it's actually more difficult than being monogamous in a lot of ways because you have all the normal relationship skills that you have to learn to have healthy relationships and you have some additional skills that you have to learn on top of it. And, you know, this, like I said, this idea that poly is easy, it clearly doesn't play out in real life. All you have to do is look at the people that you know. If you're involved in your local poly community, you have poly friends and you will understand that right up front. And it doesn't mean that the relationships aren't worth it aren't worth oh, the no, challenges. Oh, no, they are. And they're doable. Yeah. It just means those things actually exist. Those issues actually exist. And the problem is, is that when we start removing that fact and we start saying, oh, these things don't exist and we don't talk about them, we deny, deny people education. We kind of put like this stigma around folks who are looking for education, who are seeking guidance who are saying, hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. I need help. And the reaction is, well, if you are good at poly, 
you don't have those problems. If you're really a poly person, those things don't yeah, happen. Yeah, that's, that's more the thing. It's it's not even if you're good at poly, it's if you're cut out to be poly. You don't have those problems. And that's bullshit. And all you have to do to see this is just go in any large poly Facebook group and look at people asking for help and look at some of the responses that they get. You know, this is one of those reasons that we work so hard not to let people do this in our own Facebook group and to provide an environment where people actually learn. But just go on and look at people who are asking for help and look at the kind of responses that they're getting. And it's it's basically what you said. It's, well, if you're, then you're just not cut out to be poly, right? Because poly people don't have those problems, which is fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and this this carries a very real cost. So there's there's a couple things, I think, about this that that turn into issues. Number one is it affects... And maybe you can help me with the right way to say this, but I want to say like it affects the type of of education that's available, like not like the style of education in terms of like what kind of education is it like? Is it coaching? Is it this? Is it that? Is it books? But the I feel like it addresses the the tone of the education, like what's allowed to be talked about or how we're allowed to talk about it. Like there are ways that work. There are ways that don't work. I mean, maybe you can help me with that a little bit. It. It's sort of like how I would have described that is it gets down to this, the true way. And if you're not in the true way, if you're not with it, you can't learn it. Like you can't learn how to do it correctly because, well, you should already know. You should already know this stuff. And if you if you don't have this level of knowledge, then you can't get the rest of it like it's almost like a a hidden like barrier yeah i think actually the way the way that i typically phrase this now that i had a second to think about it is it's this idea of ideal versus practical right and because we have this this poly propaganda and we want to portray things so well the problem is a lot of times when we're trying to educate people a lot of people i'd say almost all people are really focused on sticking the ideals of how stuff should look like instead of talking about what actually works and what doesn't. And, you know, when we have calls with people um, and we, we talk to them about what's going on in their relationships, this is one thing that we hear a lot that kind of draws people into us versus other places is, well, yeah, like there's all this idealist bullshit out there, but I want stuff that's actually that practical. actually practical, that actually works. Like it's great that this is how it would work ideally, but this isn't how it actually works for anybody in real life. And I want my relationship to work. And the thing is, you know, I, I personally think that we're doing a disservice to the poly community by having this attitude of poly is easy and discouraging people from education because I think I think we're actually causing more open relationships to fail and which is is just bad for everybody. Yeah. And I mean, you see everything from people who sought education, right? Who looked for education and asked for advice, who finally just give up on on their non-monogamous relationships. You have folks who finally might actually find some education by, by that point of trying to find it and trying to look, they end up breaking up before they even get the opportunity to take advantage of it. I mean, us, for example, you know, we talked to folks, several folks, over the weeks. And these are people who have been looking for for help for a long time. They've been searching. They've been doing a lot of the, you know, Googling and looking around. Going in poly Facebook groups. and Yeah, going in poly Facebook groups, all kinds of stuff. And at the point where they actually came to us, 
and and maybe came through, you know, a podcast or one of our our trainings or something like that. And they didn't make it to the call. They broke up because they had waited this long period of time of seeking education. And every time that they looked for something, every time that they asked for help, it was sort of this, well, you should know better. Uh, You should just automatically know this stuff. Poly isn't hard. It should be easy. If it's hard for you, maybe you're not cut out for poly. And they don't make it. Yeah. So that's myth number two, right? Is that poly is easy. Poly is not easy. And it is actually more complicated than monogamous relationships. It is perfectly doable and it is well worth it, right? But it is not easy. It's not something you just have the skills to do. So the next myth is that poly education should look a certain way. And I'm actually going to let you pick up a lot of this because you deal with this a lot more than I do. This, by the way, is something, another one that we had, uh, uh, so unfortunately, some of these other points we've had Facebook comments for, and I just haven't been screenshotting very much in the last little bit because we I, we just decided recently we're going to start doing this this thing with addressing Facebook comments that we get. But myth number three, education should look a certain way. Well, for instance, we we provide coaching and we work with folks and, and do coaching. That being said, we do other stuff. You know, we have the podcast, we do some blog posts, and it's always Facebook group. And the way we look at it is that education comes in many different forms. But for some reason, when you talk to poly folks, there is this idea that education should come by a certain way. It should look a certain way. It should be in a certain format. And it's just very interesting because in the rest of the world, we don't look at education that way. We don't say, oh, if you want to learn something, you have to learn it from a book, or you have to learn it from a particular kind of, you know, podcast or this, that, and the other. We learn in all kinds of different ways. And a lot of times, you know, for instance, one of the comments that we see quite often from folks is, well, you should learn about this in a book. And it's like, okay. I mean, cool. Cool. You should read books. (laughs) Reading's good. Reading's good. Yeah. But why is that the only way to learn? And then other folks will say things like, well, you shouldn't read books and you shouldn't do, you know, online trainings. You should go and get your information from local groups. You should go out and meet people. And again, meeting people is good. You should. We we strongly encourage you getting involved in your community. A lot of places will have little educational things. It's definitely worth doing. You may get some value from you know, certain topics, little bits and pieces as you go to these things. Yeah, you should do that. But again, why that specifically? I don't know. And this is honestly even kind of hard to address because it just, it doesn't make any sense. Now, one of the ones that we get a lot that is really easy to say, oh, fuck no. Yeah, I was getting to that is, well, you know, get stuff from your friends or your metamors. And I'll add the metamorph part because that's come up a lot too. Like, you know, if you're having problems with your partner, talk to your metamorph and ask them how they handle that problem with your mutual partner. Things like that. Like, sorry guys, but your friends, your metamors are not necessarily the people you want to seek out your knowledge about your relationship. Yeah, there's, there's three problems here. I'm just going to pull right off the top of my head. Number one is, 
do these people even have the types of relationships that you want? Most of the time, the answer is no. They've got fucked up relationships. You don't want a relationship that looks anything like theirs. Why are you asking them for advice? I don't know. And this goes, by the way, for your poly groups, too. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. There's probably some people there you can learn a lot from. And there's probably educators who come in you can learn a lot from. I'm just saying you want to evaluate these things, right? So number one, do their relationships look like your relationships? Number two, do they have any experience teaching that? Because uh, there's a big difference between knowing how to do something and being able to teach it. Um, you know, the main main part of that being if you don't know how to teach it, you've only addressed this from your specific problems and your specific personalities and the specific people in your relationships. And the things that have worked to get you to where you're at may very well not work for this other person. They may run into obstacles that you're not familiar with. They're different, right? It's, it's different. So that's thing two. Thing number three, and this comes especially when you're talking about your friends and metamors, is are they unbiased enough to give you useful information? And the answer there is almost always absolutely not. Yeah. So all education is valuable. You should listen to podcasts. You should look at blogs. You should read books. I would be very cautious about getting advice from your friends. That would be the only thing I'd say. You, you really want to evaluate those facts we just talked about. But other than that, there is value in education. Um, but, you know, the thing to remember is that different kinds of education are good for different things in different places where you're at and different goals. There's no right answer. There's the right answer for you and what you're trying to achieve in your relationships. And also how much you're trying to achieve or how much work needs to be done, right? Like perhaps maybe you and your partner just want to learn how to, you know, taking it outside of poly, but like, hey, we want to learn how to, you know, give a better hand job. That might be something that's better suited for a blog post or a podcast episode or something like that. Versus me and my partner have had this, you know, multiple different levels of, of complications in our relationship. Different things are going to suit different people. And with that, depending on what's going on, you may need some kind of personal accountability. You may need someone to walk you through this. Like if you've tried books and you've tried podcasts and you've done these things and Having the little pieces that you're putting together, kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning with kind of trying to put stuff together and work through that trial and error isn't working for you if it hasn't worked by now. Like if you've gone through all these things and it still isn't working, it's probably not. And that's sort of one of the benefits of like coaching is having someone who guides you through that. Like all of this stuff is already put together. You have it and you have someone who understands the problem, has addressed it with others, knows how to teach it, doesn't just know how to do it, but also knows how to teach you how to do it. And that's one of the benefits of coaching. And it's always interesting to see sort of the reaction to coaching versus books versus groups and everyone saying that there's one true way to do something. Anytime you need to, I think there's a couple situations in which personal, some kind of personal attention is a good answer, whether it's coaching or therapy. We're going to talk more about the two of those in a minute. Um, but, you know, it's if if you've been trying things and they haven't been working, right? Like you're not going to get anywhere doing the same things that you have been. If you need to create like a massive change of where you're at, like it's super hard to take stuff from all kinds of different sources, put it together, come up with a workable system out of like 10 different places and try and put it together and 
hold yourself accountable and come up with huge change. Really, at the end of the day, uh, as a general rule, any kind of massive, massive change requires some kind of personal attention. And this isn't a isn't a poly thing. It's a life thing. Right. Or the, the last place that we see a lot of people is when they're coming into poly and, you know, they have they have a relationship that they find really valuable and they realize how easy it is to mess that up because they realize that it is a myth and poly really is not easy and things are good now, but they don't want things to go downhill and they want to make sure that they approach things well and they want, they want a system in place and, and the accountability in place to make sure that as they explore stuff and go through stuff, stuff changes that their relationship remains where they want it to remain. Um, so those, those are typically the situations in which we see people find coaching to be super helpful. Yeah, and it's kind of like one of those things where coaching with what you were just talking about, all of those things, those things aren't poly-specific. I've had coaches, you know, like when I've wanted to do things with our business, things like that, I've gone and sought someone who had a structure, had a system for it, had proven that they've been able to duplicate that with other folks and were able to guide me along to be able to do things. Like we got further with Touch of Flavor in four months after getting like my first business coach than I had gotten in the previous four years. Not because, you know, not because we were not trying, not because we weren't <sighs> Not working reading, our asses off, <laughs> reading everything. Doing all kinds of stuff. But because that's literally what we were doing. We were piecing things together on our own. We were looking at this this source and that source and trying to figure it out and give this a try. And it was amazing to see the difference in that. So it's not just poly-related. It's, it's, it's massive change of, of any sorts. It requires personal attention. I want to talk about therapy and I want to talk about coaching. Because this is one place that a lot of times... People don't seem to understand the difference between the two and when each is applicable, right? This is just like talking about those other forms of education. Everything is pretty much useful, with the exception of maybe asking your friends for their advice, right? <laughs> it's what's the right tool for the job currently. So first, I do want to clarify that if you do need a therapist, the importance of finding a poly-friendly therapist, Okay. Or kink-friendly if you're kinky. Yes. Because um, generally, if you go to a, a therapist who is not poly-friendly and you need therapy, one of two things will happen. Either most of the time, they're just going to tell you that you need to stop being poly and you need to break up with your partner if they're not going to stop being poly. Or even if you do get a tolerant person, you're going to spend all of your time with them educating them about poly instead of actually talking to them about whatever issues brought you there for discussion. And this is something that we've seen not just in our own lives, because we have seen this in our own lives, uh, but this is a fairly common thing with our clients as well. Yeah. People tell me that they've gone to therapy and I get a lot of stories of how the therapist is like, Eureka, here you go. What you need to do is just stop doing this open relationship thing and everything will be well. Oh, you've got anxiety? Just stop being in open relationships. Yeah. That would be perfect. And it's super easy. I made my insurance <laughs> yeah. payment and yeah. Yeah, it's good. There you go. All is solved. And first of all, that's incredibly not helpful. If being polyamorous is who you are, that's part of your identity. That's something that you are, not something that you just do. And with the second one, a lot of folks spend 
hours sitting there explaining their relationship. One of my friends, so this isn't even our personal experience or a client's, this is actually a friend of mine. She went to therapy to deal with her MS issues. She was suffering from MS and she was really having a lot of struggles with that. And her therapist was open to the idea of her being poly. And she spent her appointments for two months going over like poly dynamics and how they deal with jealousy and things like that. So she ended up educating the therapist on her relationships and never actually getting to work on her problems. Yeah. So if you do need a therapist, make sure that it is a poly-friendly therapist. But I do want us to actually talk about when is the right time to seek therapy versus when is the right time to seek a coach, because those are actually two very different things. Each one is the right tool for a certain goal. And I don't think uh, one, one thing that I find when we talk to people is that people just do not at all understand the difference between the two. So therapy is very important work for like reflective healing, right? Like if I haven't been able to grasp my emotions, my feelings, I haven't been able to figure out where those things might be coming from, that is a, a good place to start. Any kind of trauma. Trauma. Certainly. We get people who try and come to us for traumatic things sometimes and we, you know, that's not something that we do. Anything along those lines where you need to kind of look within yourself and make those kind of internal healing changes, therapy is is really the right tool for. It's also in the case of dealing with things like disorders. You know, if you have OCD or certain anxiety issues or depression, that's a good place to be able to work on those specific things. So, so therapy is really... You know, and, and, and when you're talking about therapy, you're really talking mostly about the assessment and treatment of disorders. Therapy is really about why is something happening, right? Whereas coaching is what do you want to, like you have a change you want to make. What do you want to do differently? What is the change that you want to make externally in your life? What's the change that you want to see? Yeah, so when my clients come to me, they're at a point where, they're like, okay, I know what's going on inside, right? Like I know where my feelings are at and these are the things that I want to see happen in my relationship. Here are my relationship goals and this is a destination I want to get to. And the idea with coaching is having someone who guides you along that path to get to that goal or that thing that you want to, to, to reach. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, coaching does involve a certain amount of what we call mindset work, which is, you know, trying to get your mindset in line with specific goals that you want to show up in your life. Right. So the mindset around how you're approaching jealousy, perhaps, or how you're approaching when your partner goes out. But it really is all leading towards that external change. It's that change that you want to see in your life as opposed to in yourself. So we just we just did want to talk about coaching versus therapy while we were in this because that is maybe one of our most common questions when we start talking about personal attention as well. What is therapy? What is coaching? And the one last thing I do want to throw in there is um, we do have clients who are in therapy at the same time. We actually some of the therapists we actually talk to and and work with. We have you know maybe a, a client who's in therapy for depression, and while they're in therapy for depression, 
you know, we're working with them on the relationships that they want to have and how to build those relationships. Yeah. I've, I've actually had conversations with sort of a joint conversation between my client who is also in therapy and, and their therapist, just so that way we're making sure that, you know, things are cohesive and stuff like that. It's two different things. It's two very different growths and different things work for different people and different people need different things. Right. So that's the third myth, right? The myth that education should only look a certain way, whether it's a book or whether it's only books or only learning from your friends or whatever. The fact of the matter is that different tools, you know, there, there's different ways to learn. They're valid and different ones are just the right option depending on what your goals are. So the last myth is polyamory education should be free. Yeah, so I feel like we could go down a whole interesting rabbit hole on how this came to be because this is really a very uh, something that is very specific to the kink and poly communities. We've also talked to people who say sometimes in like the like spirituality space. So I feel like, but it's it's actually a really odd thing, and I feel like we could spend a lot of time talking about why that came to be, but I actually don't want to waste the time on that. I want to talk about the issues with this. I blame this fact for the comparatively low value of education in the kink and poly communities. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certainly some kink and poly educators who are good, but overall, the quality of education in the kink and poly space is low compared to the quality of education in almost any other interest that you have. We talked about golf earlier, right? There is way higher quality education available for golf than there is for poly. There's higher education on like how to conduct like Renaissance sparring than there is on kink and poly. And, and I really blame this, like I said, on the fact that there's this idea that education should be free. There's a couple things that winds up happening with this. Number one is that a lot of places that teach expect people to volunteer and eventually the volunteers get burned out and they drop off the map. And all you have to do is think about the number of people you know that were educators who fell out, like who were decent educators, good educators, who wind up just dropping off the map because you can only do so much for free in your spare time. So that's one problem is just people fall off. But the other problem is that it makes it very hard to get skilled at something. So besides us, I know literally a handful of people who are able to educate in the poly and kink spaces full time. And even then, those people are usually barely scraping by. And the problem is that when that happens, people aren't able to give the level of professionalism that they give to education when that's not the case. So if you're able to do this full time, this is something where you're able to put 100% of your time into it, 100% of your energy. You're able to spend the time to learn new things. You're able to spend the time working with people who are having problems to understand the problems that they're having and how to solve them. You're able to invest rather significant sums of money into learning your own skills and time, right? And these are things that you just can't do in a space where everybody expects everything to be free. So like I said, there, there's there's a very, very few of us who are able to uh, do this full time and are able to, you know, reach kind of that that 
level of professionalism that I feel like it's like the scale is weighted, right? It's like only the top percent of people who are doing this are really able to get to the level of professionalism. Whereas typically you'd have a much wider range of, of like people who weren't be quite as good, but they still be able to do this full time and learn and teach and the quality of the education would increase. And they would be able to have the ability to make it a living. So that way that they could have that time and do those things. Like part of this is if I am not getting an income from something, right? Like if, if I'm, if I'm doing something for free, it is not a job. It is a hobby. And our hobbies get less attention than things that acquire us the ability to survive and live. So here's the thing. I mean, the fact of the matter is most people probably don't give a fuck about how this problem contributes to the overall level of education. So I want to talk about how this way of thinking actually affects people in their own lives and in their relationships. So here's the thing. When we want to get better at something, when we are really, really invested in learning, when it's something that's super important for us to pick up, and maybe that super important thing is something small, right? Like maybe it's Microsoft Word or maybe, I mean, we, we pay for that, right? Like we go and we, we take classes. You take classes to learn how to knit. You take classes to be able to drive a car, which I think is a little bit more higher on that important scale. But we, we, we pay for the education for us to be able to do things the best we can. I mean, heck, people pay for all kinds of things. I know someone who paid to learn how to throw axes. Pretty cool, right? Like I, I think throwing axes is pretty awesome, but, but thousands of dollars to be able to learn how to throw an axe correctly. And the idea is, is that we pay for things that we find important, and we want to learn how to do. And why this affects us is because it's sort of two parts. If it's worth learning, it's worth paying for, right? That's why we pay for college. That's why we pay for all kinds of different kinds of education. If it's worth doing, we pay for it. Well, the other you, you, you're willing to pay for the amount of value that something adds to your life. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's if, you know, it's even if that is just even if that is just throwing axes, right? But we're willing to pay for the amount of value that something adds to our life. And we recognize most of us in our vanilla lives that generally the value of the education that we're getting is reflected by the price that we're paying for it, right? We know if we're going out and we're getting somebody off Craigslist and paying them 50 bucks to teach us to... Learn Spanish. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I keep going back to golf. Like, we're going to go on Craigslist and then pay somebody 50 bucks to teach us how to do some golf thing. Maybe should have picked an analogy that I actually I actually knew the sport. But, you know. Let me go with the Spanish analogy. Okay, okay. Because I actually looked at this. Because our kiddo was, was, was kind of learned Spanish, was doing really good, but he needed some help. Because the summer passed and he, he started losing some of it. And I looked into tutoring for, for, for Spanish. So when you said someone off Craigslist, there was people on Craigslist who were like, I can spend, you know, an hour with you for 50 bucks and go through some letters and some numbers and stuff. And it was 50 bucks to do that, right? Whereas there was like tutoring that was ongoing tutoring, which cost a lot different. 
But the expectation of what you were going to learn from the $50, let's go over letters and numbers, from the I'm going to tutor you twice a week and we're going to sit down and we're going to go over all of these things like, uh, and I'm not going to pretend to know Spanish, but like the feminine and masculine stuff, it goes completely over my head. Thank goodness there's tutors, right? So the idea is that, that there's a very big difference in what you expect from $50 on Craigslist versus ongoing tutoring or ongoing education and things like that. It's, it's a very different yeah, look. And, and I think more importantly, you know, than what you expect to learn is really where you expect to be when you're done with that, right? Like if you're paying somebody 50 bucks to come teach you Spanish for an hour, you're not really expecting to know that much more when they leave. Whereas if you have a job opportunity and you're going to have to move to Mexico in two months, you're going to get somebody who you think is going to be able to get you significantly closer to where you need to be. So that's something that we recognize in in our day-to-day lives in pretty much every arena other than relationships. And, you know, and there's also something to be said, I think, for how we treat education that we value versus how we don't. Well, yeah. I mean, when we're given something for free, right? And and we give out a lot of free information, you know, from blogs to podcasts, things like that. I think you should just and talk about our experience, your experience with coaching and results and clients overall. Oh, I'll, I'm going to get there. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, when we're given things for free or very cheap, we do not see them as quote unquote valuable, right? We see them as, oh, okay, I got this thing and I'll get to it later. I'll come back to it. And everybody says no, but we all do it. We do. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about that gym membership that you're paying $10 for a month and you haven't gone to the gym in, yeah, that long. Yep. Or that book that someone gave you on that self-help stuff that you wanted to do that's still sitting on your 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 uh, bookshelf and hasn't been touched in four years. It, it's stuff like that where we don't see it. And, I mean, we've seen it with our own clients. Dramatically. Yeah. Between over the years – as you know, things have gone on and our, our programs have changed and, and how we work with folks have changed and you know, life, some of our prices have gone up and things like that. And literally seeing from you know, way back when, when things were a lot cheaper to now, folks do the work. They're, they, they're invested in, in doing the work because they have some equity, you know, they, they put some, some sweat and some equity into doing it to be able to, to, to get this in their hands, to get this program or get coaching in their hands. And, and now they're doing it because it's, this cost me something. I'll, I'll go deeper into it. I mean, back when we used to do like hourly coaching mm-hmm. at prices that a lot of people in the poly community do stuff at, our clients didn't really get a lot out of it because they wouldn't show up. They wouldn't do the work. I mean, they, you know, like they wouldn't listen to a goddamn thing you told them. Like they'd sit there and it was like, eh, I just lost the money. And, you know, whatever. And, you know, I only lost a little bit of money. So if I don't show up today, it's not that big a deal. And if I just do whatever the fuck I want, don't know what you told me. It's not that big a deal. And you almost have to see the change to believe it where as our prices have increased over the years, because our program's gotten better, right? But as our prices have increased, the outcomes that our clients have gotten have been amazingly different. And part of it is because we've grown doing this professionally and, you know, our program has grown and 
we've had a lot more education and all these things. But a very large part of it is that people show up and they're invested enough and they show up every time and they do all the work and they listen to what they're told and they walk away with the results that they want. And that change is astounding. Yeah, it's completely a mindset about it being worth it. That, that's that's the thing. It, it, it became a mindset of this is something that I invested in and I'm going to do everything possible to get everything I can out of it. So the fact of the matter is, like I said, we recognize anywhere else in our lives that when we want to make a huge change or we really want to learn something that we have to invest to learn it. And but for some reason, even though we'll apply this mindset, like Cassie said, like going and throwing axes or learning a sport, we don't apply this mindset to the really important things in our lives. And this goes back to the first myth, right? And probably the second myth, too, that. You know, oh, it's relationships are just supposed to be easy and you're just supposed to get them and poly is just supposed to be easy or you're not cut out for them. But whatever the reason is, we don't invest in the most important things in our lives. We don't take this mindset that we have from the rest of our life of if something is worth learning, you pay to learn it and apply it to the rest of our lives. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, it's not any different, right? If you want to create massive change, and you have a place that you're trying to get, whether it's relationships or whether it's golf or whether it's axes, you get what you pay for. With that being said, if working on your relationships is something that you are dedicated to doing at this point, if it's something that is important to you. If you need to make a serious change. In your relationship, yeah. Like, then go out and find someone who specializes in non-monogamous relationships and hire them. Uh, your relationship is is far too important to leave the chance to just wing it. Find the best mentor you can and, you know, spend what it takes to work with that person to get the results that you're looking for. All right. So hope you guys enjoy this. I'm just going to sum up again the four myths that are keeping poly people from building amazing relationships. Okay. Number one is the myth that love is everything that you need. Slash relationships are easy. Love is not everything you need. Relationships are not easy. They are a skill and they're something that has to be learned just like any skill. And you can learn from your own mistakes or you can learn from somebody else's mistakes. That's myth number one. Myth number two, and all these other myths are two poly people from the poly community. Myth number two is that polyamory is easy. Polyamory is not easy. Like I said, just think about all the poly people you know who have broken up. Uh, perhaps disastrously, right? Polyamory is all the skills you need to learn to run a normal relationship, plus some extra skills on top of it. It's not easy. It is, again, something that you need to learn, all right? It's something that you need to go out and you need to be willing to find those skills and you need to search for advice and you need to not take, well, if you were poly, you would just know that as an answer. You need to find the help that you need. Myth number three is that education should look a certain way. Not true at all. There are lots of different kinds of education, whether it's books, whether it is uh, podcasts, whether it is classes, whether it is getting involved in your local community, whether it is coaching, whether it is therapy. And different ones, right, different methods are the best answer depending on what your goal is and where you're trying to get. And the last myth is that poly education should be free. Like I said, I don't know where this comes from, but the fact of the matter is, is that 
Poly education is just like any other education. You get what you pay for. And if you want to create a massive change in your relationships, you treat that just the way that you would treat anything else that you really wanted to learn. And you find the best education you can and you spend the money that it takes to get that education to make that change. And our relationships, by the way, again, are way more important than all these other things that we treat that way, whether it's hobbies or sports or even job-related things, okay? So that is myth number four. So these are the four myths that we see all the time that are keeping poly people from building the kind of relationships that they want. All right, guys, so just overcoming those four myths is going to be an enormous help on your poly journey, and it's going to be a huge step in getting you to where you need to be. If you want more help, right, we do work with poly people to build amazing open relationships. That is what we do. If you would like to speak with us, you can go to atouchaflavor.com forward slash call and set up a free call with us. We'll hop on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we will talk about how you can build amazing open relationships. And there's three things that we cover on those calls. So those three things that we cover on those calls are what your ideal relationship would look like, uh, your ideal open relationship, the biggest obstacle that's keeping you from reaching that relationship goal so that you can start tackling it now, and then also the best way to protect and stabilize your existing relationship uh, as you're working on polyamory and exploring and things like that. So if you'd like to book that call, you can go to atouchaflavor.com forward slash call. I will put a link in the show notes again at uh, atouchaflavor.com forward slash 039. Our spaces are somewhat limited. They tend to book up pretty quick. Um, So if that's something you're interested in, hop on over and book that. And again, thank you for listening to these four myths. We know that As I said, just overcoming those is going to be such an enormous step on your poly journey. All right, guys. So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask. Or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. Although the whole time that I was looking at that, I was looking at it and was like seeing Invader Sim being like, pizza! No, it's Gurr and it's tacos! Yes. All right.